and turn to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And um, I'll read from that. Hopefully during the reading of the Word of God, you'll get used to my accent and you'll know that I'm speaking English even though it doesn't sound like it. Uh, Acts chapter 8 and um, just starting from the second part of verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For the unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Well, let's bow before the Lord in prayer. This is your amazing word, O Lord. This is your amazing account of how you built the church. We do pray that we would learn from this. We'd be able to take it into our hearts and, trusting you, apply it fully and faithfully. Thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I I, um, am a missionary in Lithuania, and one of our goals there is the rebuilding of a church there, a church that, uh, although there are 6,000 people in the country, uh, mostly in the north, who claim to be from a Reformed background, probably on a Sunday only 300 of those people would attend church. So some of our churches are as small as 15 people, uh, 10 people on, on a Sunday, any given Sunday. So a church of 11 buildings, only 300 people re- regularly attending. So our goal in going back there was to say, Lord, if we return in faithfulness to you, uh, will you return to us and restore us, rebuild us as a church? And we've begun to see that that happening in, in, the, in the church. And one of the things that, that uh, happens when a church starts to grow is that other people come around and ask, um, what's the secret? What did, you, what did you do here that enables your church to go, grow? We actually had some visitors from a liberal church in Germany who came and said, well, this is wonderful, uh, but our churches in Germany are dying and yours are growing. Uh, what's the secret? What's the uh, difference here about, about how to do it? Is it because you're American? And clearly, I'm not an American, but, but I do have American citizenship, so that, that'll do. And so they think, okay, it must be the American aspect to it. No, it's not that. And so we work, uh, we talk with them and try to explain that it is returning in faithfulness to the scriptures 
And the Holy Spirit is working to build the church, not by means that we have chosen, but by his, his own means. And today I want to look at three different ways in which the Holy Spirit builds his church. Before I do that, I want to ask you if you know the uh, Evangelism Explosion Program. Have you ever done that in this uh, church? It's a great program. It's a, a way in which you train your people to do evangelism. And it begins with asking what are called diagnostic questions. The first question is, uh, suppose you were to die tonight. We don't want that to happen. But if it were to happen, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And that's a, a good question, a good reformed question, because it's dealing with the issue of assurance of salvation. And sadly, most people don't know that, uh, whether they will go to heaven. And we're able to share with them the scripture from 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the scriptures are very clear that you can have assurance of your salvation. But then there is a second diagnostic question, which asks the reason, why are you so uncertain about uh, whether you have salvation or not? And that diagnostic question asks, suppose you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What answer would you give? Well, most people give the answer, I, I attend church, uh, even if it's my wife who makes me do so, I attend church, I I'm, uh, try to do good on, on, to all people, and I try to live what is a Christian life. And what they miss out, of course, is the necessity of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we explain that to them, it's been a, a wonderful program, and I highly commend it um, if you've never been through that program to learn how to share your faith um, you, can, you can take this program. And the good thing about it is that it doesn't just teach you to memorize a way of sharing the gospel, but if the program is properly impl implemented, for 16 weeks you go with a mentor, and he takes you around and he uh, shows you how to present the gospel. So for the first week you go out with your trainer, you don't say anything. You just sit and watch. The second week, I believe... All you do is you say yes to a certain question that he asks. And then the third week, you've got another sentence to say. And so you're expanding over it. And by the 15th week, you're able to present the gospel yourself from beginning to end. And it is the trainer who turn, turns around and says yes to your question. So it's a good program. Very, very good. However, there was a weakness in that program when I took it. We used it in both in Florida when I was a trainee pastor and also in Pakistan with our elders. And we had a number of elders in the church become believers because of that. So it was a wonderful thing. But there was this weakness, and that is um, the program has a trainer who takes two people and trains them for 16 weeks. Those three people will each take two people and train them for 16 weeks. So that after about 32 weeks, you have, I think, 27 people who are trained in evangelism. And this is why the program is called Evangelism Explosion, because it grows exponentially. If each person takes two people and trains them for 16 weeks, very quickly you're going to be training a lot of people. And some churches have grown. But there are other churches who have taken that program and have faithfully implemented it, and they haven't seen that dramatic growth uh, in the church. And they've become disappointed. And the reason they've become disappointed is because they've relied on that method as a means of church growth. 
And that's one thing we cannot do. We can train people in different methods, different ways of sharing the gospel. But the point I want to bring to you today is that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit for church growth. And in today's reading, we actually have three ways in which the Holy Spirit works. And I want you to listen to those three different ways in which the Holy Spirit is working. And I want you to see how, um, how that is just a... Uh, the Holy Spirit sometimes works in very remarkable and surprising ways, but three different ways, persecution, preaching, and power. Those, uh, hopefully, that will help you to remember this. Persecution is the first way in which the uh, Holy Spirit works, and that is in Acts chapter 8 here, verses 1 to 4. Uh, And there rose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then I want you to notice these next words, which are often, if you have a a Bible that's divided into sections, attached to the next section. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, what we have here is a a summary phrase which has got an example of preaching the word before it and after it. The phrase, the summary phrase is, now those who are scattered went about preaching the word. And the first example that we're given is the example of persecution. Stephen had just been martyred on this particular day, accused of blasphemy. He preached a sermon. The people were antagonized. They picked up stones and they put him to death. And then there was this massive explosion of persecution against the Christians in Jerusalem, forcing them to go out into the neighboring province of Judea and then the northern province of Samaria. Now this was following the plan of God. God had in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said, the Holy Spirit will come with power upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they already were, then in Judea, then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The problem was that the Christian community had stayed in Jerusalem for a period of time. And so God allowed persecution to come into the church and force the church into the neighboring provinces of Judea and Samaria. And you can imagine then how they would go about preaching the word. It's not as though they would take their Bibles like your pastor does and he would take it and explain it and preach it. No. The preaching of the word in this case was much more the idea of a personal testimony about how God has worked in my life. And you can imagine the situation. There's a knock on a door somewhere in Samaria in the late hours of the day when it's already getting dark. A Jewish man opens the door and standing opposite him, he knows this from their clothing, from their stance, from their dress, that they are also Jews, but they're looking bedraggled, exhausted. And uh, they, they, uh, the person who's standing in front of him is the head of the household, and he says, Brother, I'm just sorry to have to bother you at this time, but uh, we're fleeing persecution from Jerusalem. We're exhausted. We need a place to sleep and some food to eat. Could you give us that? And the household owner, he knows that Jews have suffered persecution time after time again. He says, of course, come on in, brother. You're welcome. Wash your feet. Get the meal ready. Let's look after these people. Put down some mattresses. Let the children get some sleep and so on. And, and he's, he's just beside himself with uh, uh, um, 
with concern about these, these refugees who are fleeing. He said, come in, what happened? Was it the Romans who were doing that? Oh, may the Lord judge those Romans for what they do against the Jewish people. And he's saying this, and then the person standing at the door says, well, it's this time, I'm sorry, it's not the Romans. It's our own Jewish people, the temple authorities. The man says, what? Jews attacking Jews? How can that be? What's gone wrong? Have you committed blasphemy? What, is, what has happened to you? And the refugee who is fleeing says, listen, I can tell you what happened. It's about the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Messiah has come to earth. And the temple authorities didn't want to receive him. But we have received him. And he has given us the hope of life eternal. The household owner says, come in and tell me about this. Tell me what's happened. This is, this is remarkable. This is what we've been waiting for. And we know that now is the season when the Messiah is meant to come. But I warn you, I'm going to take the scriptures and I'm going to check every word that you say according to the scriptures. And then the refugee says, you go ahead and check the scriptures. Just give me about half an hour and I will explain what God has done in bringing Jesus, the Messiah, here and what he's done in my life. Now you see what has happened here is that persecution has given a very natural and normal opportunity for a person to share his experience and to share what God has been doing in his life and what things are going on. And we might say, well, in the United States, we're not really suffering from persecution. It's beginning to happen, I think. But it's not really the intense suffering that our Lithuanians suffered under communism and so on. It's, it's, it's not that at that stage yet. But all of us have had some form of suffering or tragedy in our lives. It might be cancer. It might be losing your job. It might be losing a loved, loved one. It, it, it is something that's happened in our life that has been a tragedy. Have you ever thought that God gives you those things so that you have an opportunity to talk about that to other people? People want to know what's happened to you when you've got cancer. How have you handled it? How are you dealing with it? If you take the tragedy of life that you have and you look at that in the light of the scriptures and you understand what God has been doing, the wonderful thing that you have in this tragedy or as a result of this tragedy and the suffering that you're going through is that you have an easy, God-given opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who cannot argue with you because it's your experience. I have gone through this. I have seen this, and I have received hope from Jesus in this situation. And so I want you to, to think about your life situations. What are the most difficult ones that you've, you've had? How has God given you that opportunity to, to serve him as a result of that? Uh, when we uh, were missionaries in Pakistan for 12 years, at the end of that time, we uh, left the field. And the reason we left the field was that my wife suffered a breakdown, a nervous breakdown, and it took her four years to recover from that. Now, you might think that's a horrible thing. And it was. It was difficult. Difficult for her, for me, and for us, our family. But I cannot tell you how many times 
Emily has been able to work with women in Lithuania who are struggling with their own uh, issues of depression. And we have some of the highest youth suicide rates in the world. And she's able to work with young women who are going through uh, uh, these, these struggles and these difficulties because she has credibility. She's able to say, this is what I went through. And as you might have seen in the Sunday school hour, she's able to say, this is how I got out of it. I was able to go back to the word of God, study again who God is, find out what his attributes are, what he's, that he's a merciful, loving, and caring God, and that these circumstances have come to me for a, a good purpose. As the scriptures tell us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So to be able to have that, uh, even though it may seem a terrible thing at the time, receive it as a gift of God that gives you credibility in a hurting world. When we went to, uh, to Lithuania, people thought, you're American, you have no problems. Everything's fine in America. Everything's great in America. And they, they needed to find out that we're real people going through the same difficulties. We actually had a group of students from Erskine, uh, uh, Erskine College who came with a choir to sing in, in Lithuania. They did more than that, though. They lived for, with, uh, there were about 15 Erskine students, lived with 15 to 20 Lithuanian students for a period of a week. And they started to share about their lives. And it was surprising to the Lithuanians that even in America there is divorce in the family, there is cancer, there are uh, breakdowns of relations and so on. And as these Lithuanian young people saw what real life was like for these students from Erskine, and they saw that Jesus speaks into every situation, it gave an incredible opportunity for an honest sharing of the gospel in a way that people could understand and relate to. So this is one of the ways in which God works and uses you, ordinary members of his church, to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. He takes your difficult situations, your suffering and your pain, and he enables you to interpret them in the light of the scriptures and to be able to share them as a testimony to people. Then there is a second way. And we start again with that verse. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of uh, Samaria, proclaiming to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Here you have the preaching of the word accompanied with miracles. Now we need to understand why the miracles were given at that particular time. They were given to give credibility to people who were preaching the word of God at a time when the word of God was not yet complete. The New Testament was being written. It was not complete at that time. And so people would say, yeah, if you preach from the Old Testament, we can believe what you say. But if you preach, for, uh, preach about this New Testament, Jesus, we don't know whether we can trust you because there's nothing in the written word uh, about that. And the word was being written. Once the word was written, you see that these miracles ceased to be needed because the word itself has credibility. Why does it have credibility? 
because it's telling us about what Philip was preaching. He was preaching about the Christ. And as he preached the message of Christ, people heard that message. And although the initial focus of these people was on the miracles and on the power of God to, uh, to, to bring healing and so on, the ultimate result had to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I remember when I was in Pakistan uh, as a missionary that I would go to many churches and after each worship service, there would be a line of people waiting for me to pray over them. And why did that happen? Well, uh, it was because that in some of the churches, as I'd been preaching and praying over people, people were healed, healed from sicknesses and so on. So they believed that I had the gift of healing. Well, I didn't have the gift of healing. God has the gift of healing. And so God was doing the healing, but he was healing them. Why? Because I was praying for it. I was asking God to do it. And I have no problems asking God to heal a sick person or to do a miracle in the life of a person. Sometimes we don't see those miracles. But I, I would like to tell you about Daria, one of the young girls who came to our church in, in uh, Kaunas in Lithuania. She's a very quiet girl from the north of the country, from a reformed family, who came to our church and sat there very quietly. And we, tried, we approached her, and it took a while to break through the natural reserve that Lithuanians had. But then one day Emily asked her, said, is there anything we can pray for you about? What are you, what's going on in your life? And Daria said, I, I haven't got a job. I, I lost my job this week, and I need a job as quickly as possible. Otherwise, I can't afford to stay here. Emily said, don't worry, we'll pray about it. The next Sunday, Daria came in, and she had a job. God had answered our prayers. And I would ask you that in these situations where there are difficulties, do not be afraid to pray in faith, asking for the Lord your God to, to hear your prayers and to answer them, especially so that an unbeliever might come to faith. They might see the power of God working. Daria then came back and a few weeks later and said, well, now I have to move out of my apartment and I need a new apartment. And so he said, okay, we'll pray about it. And again, within the space of one week, the Lord provided her an apartment. Now, we often see that happening, especially in the case of unbelievers, that the Lord provides very quick answers to prayer. And he does that to demonstrate to them that he is a living God who hears the requests of his people. Now, as you grow in faith, the Lord is teaching you different lessons. And he often is trying to teach us patience and trust. And as you see that that is a biblical uh, lesson that King Saul had to learn and did not learn. Uh, but we have to learn sometimes. So sometimes then, and in the case of the Apostle Paul, praying three times for an answer to prayer, and God's answer to his prayer was, I'm not going to heal you. I'm going to show that my grace is sufficient in your weaknesses. And so as you grow in the faith, there are different answers to prayer. But in the beginning of your faith, there are often what I would call very direct answers to your prayers. And God will, will take them, and you pray on behalf of people, you're gathered together, and I often, um, uh, in, in these types of prayers, come to God and say, listen, Lord, this is so that this particular person might come to faith in you. 
And the Lord is gracious and merciful in answering those prayers and bringing people to faith. But that's not just on the mission field. It is here as well. So be bold. Trust the Lord your God to act. Trust his power and trust his ability to answer your prayers on behalf of those who are weak in faith or do not have faith in him. And you will be amazed at the little miracles that the Lord does. Sometimes you don't see those miracles because they're not dramatic. And we're told, well, you know, miracles are those things that happen on the stages of Pentecostal churches. They don't happen in ARP churches. That's rubbish. Miracles happen here all the time. Sometimes we just don't see them. But as we pray for those miracles, remember that the purpose of the miracle is that they might see the Christ. Philip proclaimed the Christ to them and that people might believe in him. So here, God can use your difficult circumstances. God also uses the simple preaching and praying and miracles that accompany the preaching of the word. And then, in a third case, he uses the dramatic or so, dramatic opportunities of salvation. And this is the example of Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. Simon was a person who had been able to manipulate uh, magic so that people thought he was a great man, that perhaps he was even a representative of God. But then they came and they heard, saw Philip, and they saw that the teaching of Philip was different from Simon's teaching, because teach, uh, Philip taught about Jesus, the Messiah. Simon taught about Simon, the magician. So Simon was very much focused on that. And the Lord changed the heart of Simon as he saw that uh, uh, Philip had real power. He thought the power resided in Philip. It doesn't. It resides in the Holy Spirit who is in each one of us. And the Holy Spirit was able to do miracles and do wonderful things through Philip, but most of all to bring the word of God to change the hearts of, pe of the people. And so we see sometimes... For example, you get a football player who, who stands up for the Lord Jesus and everybody says, see, there's a Christian, and it encourages us in our faith. Or we have somebody who is a particularly obnoxious person who comes to faith in Christ, and we say, look at this, isn't it wonderful? This person was in our church, a real troublemaker in our church, but now this person is a believer in Jesus. There is, of course, a danger when we rely on celebrity conversions. And the danger is this. The celebrity is always used to be on the, standing on the stage to be the focus of attention. And it can be very hard for a celebrity to give up that focus and to allow the focus to be on our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read further in this chapter, you'll see that Simon Magus had that struggle. Even though he was a believer... As a young believer who still had to learn the lessons of humility and being humbled before God, he wanted to be back on the stage. And it took the apostle Peter, a man who himself had been an apostle and then had gone through a tremendously humbling experience of betraying the Lord Jesus and then being restored. And everybody knew that Peter had failed. It was took this person to say to Simon Magus, listen, you keep your money, you can't buy this gift from us. This is a gift that comes from God. And in due time, 
As you prove yourself in the church, you may come to leadership. But at the moment, you're just a baby in the church. And babies shouldn't be leading the church. And that was a rebuke to Simon Magus. And it's also a warning to us in the church. In our culture, we tend to look to celebrities, to people, and to lift up this person as an example of the work of God. And we're reminded here in this passage, do not focus on the person who is converted. And if a person is converted, do not bring them immediately into a position of leadership. They need to learn in the pew, learn for a while before they come into leadership and the temptations that come to leadership, the great temptation of pride being one of those things. And so you have to, you have to uh, preach the word, trust in the Lord to change the lives of people. But as you do that, lift up Jesus. Let people see Jesus. For it is Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It is Jesus about whom we are, for whom we are living and about whom all this is, is uh, being presented to you today. Jesus is the center. So let, let people know that you know Jesus in your own life. You pray for Jesus to act through his spirit in the lives of others as well as your, your own. And when things happen, the focus doesn't come to you as a person who's led others to Christ or as a person who's been led to Christ. The focus must remain on our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we are in Lithuania, that's our focus of the church, to have a church that is restored, not as a, um, one of these what we call authentic churches that's got a 450-year-old heritage, but rather as a church that is still faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, before I went to Lithuania, uh, most people didn't know even about the country, and they certainly didn't know, and I didn't know about the Lithuanian Reformed Church. So we would say, I'm going to Lithuania, and people would say, Lithu where? Lithu what? And so on. But they didn't have this understanding. But as we see the Lord building uh, this church, we don't want this church to become famous in the world. We want the church to become faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's also my prayer for you as a congregation. I don't want you to become a big-name church. What I want you to become known as is a church that knows Jesus, is faithful to Jesus, and lifts up the name of Jesus. So let's pray together as we bring that before the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created this world that you are everywhere present in this world through your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you do your work of building up your church for the glory of your name. So, Father, we pray that here in New Albany you would do that. You would bring us in faith to trust in you, to pray boldly according to your scriptures, and to lead people to know Jesus. Help us to have a deeper relationship with Jesus each and every day. And as our relationship grows, O oh Lord, make this a place where people come and say, the Lord is here, the Lord is present. Glory be to the name of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.